We are in part six of the making of champions. And somebody asked me the other day, they said, um, how many more of these are we going to do? How long is this series? And I couldn't tell if they wanted to keep going or if they wanted it to end. I wasn't sure. And I said, I, I'm not entirely sure, but I have an idea. We're going to be going in this series for a little while. Turns out there are a lot of people in the scripture that God used to bring about his purpose and his, his divine destiny. And so we're just exploring them um, over, the next, uh, over the next several weeks. <laughs> several, meaning who knows how many. Um, I want to just open today with one scripture, a short scripture, uh, and then we'll dive into the content. The scripture is found in Esther chapter 4. Verse 14, Esther 4, 14, and it says this, And who knows, who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Let's take a moment. Let's bow our heads. Let's still our hearts. Let's clear out distractions. Let's invite the Holy Spirit in. To this, pres- uh, to this place. Father, we love you. We praise you here at U-City and at Shaw and everybody joining online. We, we just praise you for who you are. We do uh, magnify you. We, we sometimes are stilled by the greatness and, and majesty and, and, and beauty of who you are. And today I pray, Lord God, as I preach your word, that your words would flow through me, that I would be out of the way and that your majesty and, and, and your glory would shine through. I pray that our hearts would be cultivated by your spirit. I pray that our hearts would be softened by your spirit so that your word can drop into them and take root and grow and bear fruit. Father, I just pray for each and every person who is here at U-City and at Shaw and online today. I just pray for each of us that we would grow in you, that we would be transformed by your, by your presence, by your spirit, and by your word. We love you and thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen. Amen. Uh, today I'm going to speak on the topic growing into greatness, growing into greatness. Uh, recently, my son, Augustine, wanted me to join him on the couch to watch the documentary of the Brazilian soccer player Pele. I don't know if anybody has seen this documentary, but, but Pele was, was, was one of the world's greatest, if not the greatest soccer player of all time. I think there's a picture of him uh, on there for you. And, and Pele uh, was just an extraordinary, innovative player. He was named Athlete of the Century by the International Olympic Committee. Time listed him as one of the most, uh, 100 most important people of the 20th century. He was just an all-time great. And my son Augustine, who is eight years old, wanted to watch this documentary about him. So we sit down on the couch and we sit down and watch the documentary. We're about 10 minutes into the documentary and Augustine looks up at me with his big blue eyes and he says, Dad? And I say, yes, Augustine. And he says, I want to be like Pele. I want to be like Pele. And my heart just kind of beat for him because, yes, he wants to be a good soccer player, but what he's really expressing is something deeper. What he's really expressing is, I want to do something great with my life. He's saying, I want to live a life of purpose, Dad. I'm looking at this documentary and I'm seeing somebody who made a mark. And Dad, I want to make a mark. I don't want a life of complacency. I don't want a life of mediocrity. I don't want a life of the status quo. He's saying, Dad, I want to do something great. 
I want to live a life of purpose. I want to do something that matters with my life. And what I love about that moment is because when you're eight years old and you're not cynical yet and you're not jaded yet and you see someone who inspires you, it makes you just go, I, I, I want to achieve greatness too. I want to grow into the greatness that God has for me. Today, I want to take each one of us back to that time in our life before we got cynical, before we got jaded, before we started thinking that our life would just be uh, an ongoing a series of mediocre decisions and mediocre circumstances. I want to take us back to that moment in our life where we believed that God could do something great in us. When we believed that God could do something great through us. The great author Henry David Thoreau said, the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. And what he meant by that is that many of us, we live lives of, of mediocrity, but our hearts still long for something great. Our hearts still long to do something that matters, to live a life of purpose. When we meet Esther in the book of Esther, we're going to explore her life today. When we meet her, her circumstances were not great. Many people don't remember this about Esther, but Esther was an orphan. Her mother, the tradition says that her mother died during childbirth. We don't know exactly what happened to her mother, but her mother died when she was very young. Her father died when she was very young. So at the very beginning of her life, she lost her family, and she was raised by an uncle named Mordecai. Mordecai was a religious observant Jew. He was a righteous man, and he took his little niece in and brought, him, brought her under his wing, and, and he raised her in his own home. But at a certain point, the king of the Medes and the Persians uh, went to Judah and captured Mordecai and a number of other people and took them out of their home country and brought them to the capital city of the Medes and the Persians, a town called Susa. And he brought Mordecai and Esther, and she was just a little girl, and all of these Jews had been taken out of their home country and were now living in a foreign land. So when we meet Esther, she's, she's an orphan. She lost her family. She's an exile. She lost her country, and now she is living in this land that is foreign to her. King Xerxes was not a great man. The ruler of this region, the ruler of this kingdom, was actually a terrible person. I would invite you to read the entire book of Esther this week. It doesn't take that long. It's seven or eight chapters, or nine chapters. Uh, but it's, it's, it's a short story, and it's absolutely powerful. You meet the king Xerxes. Xerxes was a power-hungry, lustful, evil, greedy person. And in fact, at the beginning of the story, we meet King Xerxes when he is wildly drunk after a massive party, and he wants to bring his queen, Vashti, in before his subjects so that they can see how beautiful she is. So he, in a drunken command, tells them, bring Vashti to the party, let her parade around in front of everyone, and Vashti says, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And so in a, a drunken stupor, he sends her away and banishes her. And then he says, here's what I'm going to do. This is the kind of character that he was. He said, I want us to go. I want you guys, his servants and his guards, go through the capital of Susa and go find young virgins, beautiful young virgins, and bring them to me. And then I will, I will pick one out. I'm going to sleep with them individually. And the one that pleases me will become my queen. Now, we sometimes kind of sugarcoat this story, but that's exactly what happened. This young woman, Esther, who was an orphan, who was in exile, is now captured and taken into custody by the king's uh, servants and the king's guards and 
prepared to sleep with the king. She is a young woman then is put in that position. She sleeps with the king and then God has favor on her and the king says, instead of just moving you into the harem where you'll just be a concubine, he makes her the queen. So her circumstances radically changed from an orphan exile girl to the queen of the entire region and the entire kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. This is a massive and radical transformation. But one thing she didn't tell King Xerxes because Mordecai told her not to, she didn't tell King Xerxes that she was a Jew. Mordecai said, don't tell because, you know, a lot of times in circumstances like this, there might be some negative implications. So don't tell him. So she doesn't tell him. And a little while later, one of his high governors, a, a, a person named Haman, says, uh, you know what? I'm, I'm kind of tired of these Jews not bowing before me in this kingdom, especially that Mordecai fellow. I don't like the fact that when I walk the street, he won't bow down before me. And he, Haman, goes to the king and says, why don't we draft an edict that anybody on a particular day can actually destroy and annihilate the Jews in their villages? On a certain day, we'll, we'll send out an edict, and on a certain day, every person in every village is going to have the freedom, by law, to kill every man, woman, and child who is a Jew in their village. This edict goes out. The king, Xerxes, agrees. Of course, he doesn't know his own wife is a Jew. The edict goes out across all of the land, and Mordecai, the uncle who is living in Susa, reads the edict. The people read, the Jews read the edict, and they realize that on a certain day, they're all going to be slaughtered. This is when we pick up the story in Esther chapter 4, verse 1. It says this. When Mordecai learned uh, of all that had been done, he tore his clothes, he put on sackcloth and ashes, he went out into the city, wailing loudly and bitterly. But he went only as far as the king's gate because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter into the king's gate. In every province in which the edict and order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping, and wailing. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's eunuchs and female attendants came and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. She sent clothes for him to put on instead of his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther summoned Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, assigned to attend her, and ordered Hathak to go find out what was troubling Mordecai and why. So Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened. Mordecai also gave Hathak a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa to show to Esther and to explain it to her. And he told him to instruct her to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. Let me pause just for a minute so that I can catch us up. You understand what happens. The edict goes out. The edict says on a certain day, all Jews are to be slaughtered. Mordecai reads the edict, tears his clothes, is now weeping and wailing and fasting along with all of the other Jews in the kingdom. And he tells, he tells one of Esther's servants... He says, hey, tell Esther to go tell her husband to have mercy on us. Tell Esther to change this edict. Tell Esther to tell the king, don't do this. You gotta, you gotta step up and, 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 and take up and take a moment into greatness. You gotta grow into a moment of greatness, Esther. I need you to actually reveal now that you're a Jew and, and that the king shouldn't do this. So Hathak, in verse nine, went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther instructed him to say to Mordecai, 
She said, all the king's officials and all the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they would be put to death, unless the king extends the royal scepter to them and spares their lives. She said, but 30 days have passed since I was called to the king. So what she's saying is, hey, Mordecai, I, I, I know you want me to go before the king and tell him not to issue this edict and to stop this, but I can't do that because if I do that, I will die. Because there's one law, and if I go before the king before he calls me, then I'm dead. He's going to kill me unless he extends his scepter, but he hasn't extended his scepter. He hasn't called my name for 30 days, so he doesn't want to see me. So I can't go do this. She sends that word back to Mordecai. Verse 12, when Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, he said, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. In this moment, Esther began to grow in greatness. In this moment, Esther went from an orphaned, exiled child to the queen of, of the entire kingdom, and now she's about to risk it all to do what God has called her to do. In this moment, she is being called to grow into greatness. For those of you who are here today, who somewhere in your heart are saying, I don't want a life of complacency and mediocrity. I don't want a life of just the status quo. I don't want a life of just doing the same thing over and over again and just maybe at the end of it, it's okay. I just live and then I die. I want to do something for God. I want to do something great. I want to go somewhere that God has called me to. I want to live into the fullest of the potential that God has given me. If you're here today and either you're young enough and naive enough or you're willing to set aside your cynicism and your jadedness for a moment, what I want to walk you through in the story of Esther are the five rules to growing into your greatness. The five rules that we see from the life of Esther of growing into your greatness. If you're taking notes, write this down. This is the first one. Embrace the opportunity of unfortunate circumstances. Embrace the opportunity of unfortunate circumstances. Circumstances. Did you know that God can use your grief to his glory? Did you know that, that God, God can use your pain for his purpose? God can use your hurt to, and, and, and make you whole? God, God can use unfortunate circumstances and convert them in op, into opportunities for you to grow into greatness. On April 24, 2004, my father passed away. It was the worst, worst day of my life. It was absolutely the most excruciating, crushing day of my life. And it actually sent me into a deep state of, of almost despair. 
Uh, my father had been a pastor, and many of you have heard the story, but, but he was a pastor, and he was a great man, and I had left the church, and, and we had become a bit estranged, and, and, and then he was diagnosed with a terminal illness at a pretty young age, and I began to try to restore that relationship with him, and then on, on, on April 24, 2004, he passed. And, and then this just sent me into a deep, deep, dark state. But in the depths of that darkness, I started to learn something. I started to learn that I needed to rely upon God instead of relying on myself. I started to learn that there was hope in an eternal God, even though our lives might not be forever right here on this earth. I started to realize that I needed to, to, to reach out and, and grab something that was greater than me if I was going to live a life of hope. And about one year later, in March of 2005, sitting alone in my apartment, I gave my life to, to Christ. I opened my heart and received Christ as my Lord and my Savior. I put my faith in His resurrection. And, it's, and it began to shift my life. It began to fundamentally transform my life. Uh, not long after that, uh, Rebecca and I got married. And then uh, I graduated from law school. And then we had kids. And, and then I began to open up to the reality that God had put a calling on my life to become a pastor. And finally, um, with Rebecca's encouragement and the, and the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, I took a step and, and, and planted one family church. And, and over time, by God's grace, I, I pray that I continue to grow in greatness and, and grow into the purpose that God has for me. But that might not have happened, but for the unfortunate circumstance and the crushing pain of losing the person who was most precious to me. Unfortunate circumstances can be opportunities in the hands of God. The scripture says that all things work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. Esther was an orphan. Her parents died. That was an unfortunate circumstance. Esther was exiled into the land of the kings, uh, Medes, and the Persians. That was an unfortunate circumstance. She was taken from her home by a vicious and lustful king. That was an unfortunate circumstance. She was subject to an edict that all Jews should be killed. That was an unfortunate circumstance. But because she was a Jew in the palace of the king who issued the edict to kill all of the Jews, when all of these unfortunate circumstances come together, she had an opportunity to step into her destiny. She had an opportunity by God's grace to step into the ultimate calling that God had for her. And by God's grace, she saved the, the, the Jews in the land because of the accumulation of the unfortunate circumstances to which she was subject. So what I want to say to you today, the application is, don't deny unfortunate circumstances. Don't denigrate them. Don't hide them. Don't bury them. Let God use them to transform you into the person that he's called you to be. Let him use those unfortunate circumstances to draw you into your destiny. Let him use those unfortunate circumstances to grow you into greatness. That's number one. Number two, commit to unchanging truth in ever-changing times. If you want to grow in greatness, commit to unchanging truth in ever-changing times. When my wife and I were in Israel, we got to go see the Dead Sea Scrolls. I've never seen anything like it. It was absolutely amazing to be in the presence of, 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 of the manuscripts of the Bible that were thousands of years old. Thousands of years old. And what struck me was that the scroll of Isaiah, which is thousands and thousands of years old, the scroll that had been written thousands of years ago, is the exact same words as in my Bible today. It was, it was unchanging for thousands of years. 
uh, nations have come and nations have gone. Kings have risen, kings have fallen. Political parties have risen, political parties have gone. But the word of God stays true. If you want to grow in greatness, then commit to unchanging truth in ever-changing times. Her, Esther's circumstances changed radically from a little orphan girl in Israel to the queen of the, of the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. Her circumstances wildly changed, but throughout the book of Esther, she keeps going to Mordecai and saying, what does God want me to do? What, is God, what would God have me do in this moment? She held on to unchanging truth in ever-changing times. We are, we are in an era where, where you, can, you can go on your phone and get 10,000 different opinions uh, in, in a moment about any topic. We, 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 can find, we can hear voices and influencers from all over. But I want to challenge you, if you want to grow in greatness, don't be tossed about by the winds of change. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Put your faith in the rock. Stand on the word of God and don't be, don't be changed by all the, the winds of change because the word of God will never change. If you want to grow in greatness, commit to unchanging truth in ever-changing times. Number three, remember whose story you inhabit. This one's going to need a little explaining. Remember whose story you inhabit. Esther came to realize that the story was not about her, it was about God. It was God's story, it wasn't her story. When, when I was young and in college, I, I was cast in a role. Uh, I, I played a part in a play called All's Well That Ends Well. I was over in England, and they cast me into, in this role. Can I just say, it didn't, it didn't end well for me in that play. I, 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 first of all, Shakespeare. You know, I don't, you know. Second of all, um, you know, I'm, a, I'm an American, and I'm in England, and I'm in this play, and I got cast in this role. And the opening night, I come up to say my lines, and man, I just blanked out. I just completely blanked out. I mean, I don't think I really knew the lines that well anyway. But I completely, iambic pentameter. I mean, it's like, so, so I stood up there, and it's my turn to talk, and I couldn't think of any of the lines. And there's a huge crowd, and they're all looking at me. And so I just started riffing. I just started saying things that kind of, I thought, roughly approximated the thing that Shakespeare would have said in a situation like that. So I'm just talking away, and, and then once I got to talking, like, I'm needing to clarify, and everybody else is speaking Shakespearean, Elizabethan, iambic pentameter English, and I'm up here going, and then another thing happened, and, and so I'm just telling you, all's did not, all, all did not end well for me in, in that play. The review came out the next day. I wish I had the clipping of it. It was like the play, one of the lines in the review said, one of the less, it, it, let, me, let me get the wording right. One of the less intentional, intentionally comedic moments in the play was offered by Brent Rome. And then it went on to just, just roast me for the next five sentences, right? But here's, here's the reality. Nobody came to hear me talk. They came to hear Shakespeare. They wanted to hear the author. They didn't want to hear the actor. They wanted to hear what the author had to say. In the story of Esther, Mordecai tells Esther, hey, listen, just so you know, this isn't your story. If it, you're not the author, you're the actor. Let me take you to this verse. This is, this is a verse that I think a lot of people miss. He says this in verse 14. Esther, if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. He says, you have an opportunity to play your part. But if you don't play your part, if you don't want to play your role, God will find somebody to play your role. God is saying to us today, hey, I want you to remember whose story you inhabit. I want you to remember that I'm the author. 
of creation. And I want to give you an opportunity to step in your role in my epic tale. But this isn't your epic tale. So just play your part. Like get in there and, and, and do what I have called you to do because God's going to get his job done with or without us. We can sometimes think that God needs us. God doesn't need us. We need God. He values us, but he doesn't need us. God is saying to us today, hey, I want to give you an opportunity. I want you to remember what part you are going to play. Number four, if you want to grow in greatness, when faced with two forms of discomfort, choose the greater. And when I say greater, I don't mean the harder. I mean the greater discomfort. Do you know that I can choose the discomfort of going to the gym or I can choose the discomfort of physical decline? Either way, I'm choosing discomfort. What discomfort am I choosing? I, I can choose the discomfort of studying or choose the discomfort of failing the test. Either way, it's uncomfortable. I'm just having to, I get to choose which discomfort. I, I can, in a relationship, I can choose the discomfort of sacrifice or I can choose the discomfort of loneliness. Either way, I'm just choosing a certain kind of discomfort. I can choose, financially, I can choose the discomfort of saving or I can choose the discomfort of poverty. Either way, I just, I'm, I'm choosing the discomfort. And Mordecai is teaching, uh, is teaching Esther. He said, I want you to choose the greater discomfort. Look at this in verse 13, 14. He says, do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. You and your father's family will perish. He said, it's going to be uncomfortable either way, Esther. It's going to be difficult either way. I want you to choose the greater discomfort. I want you to choose to risk your life. I want you to choose to, to step into your destiny. I want you to choose the discomfort of growing into the greatness that God has for you. God is calling us today. We, we get to choose the discomfort of spiritual discipline or the discomfort of spiritual decline. We get to choose the discomfort of confession or the discomfort of shame. We get to choose the discomfort of obedience or we get to choose the discomfort of the consequences of disobedient, uh, disobedience. God is calling us to step into our greatness, to grow into our greatness. And to do that, we always choose the greater discomfort. Number five, the last one. Number five is ac accept the uncertainty of integrity. If you want to grow into greatness, you've got to accept the uncertainty of integrity. Did you know that when Abraham was taking Isaac up the hill, he didn't know that there was a ram in the bush? He, 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 he accepted the uncertainty of integrity. When Daniel was cast into the lion's den, he didn't know whether God was going to shut the mouths of the lions. But he chose the uncertainty of integrity. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, refused to bow down before the king, they were choosing the uncertainty of integrity. In fact, you know the line, my favorite line in all the Bible. They said, hey king, guess what? Our God can save us. Hey, guess what king? Our God, we believe, will save us. But number three, king, even if he doesn't save us, we're still not going to bow down before you. In other words, they said, we're going to accept the uncertainty of integrity. Look what Mordecai said in verse 14. I love the way he said it. He said, and who knows? Who knows, Esther, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time. And I don't know, Esther, if this is going to work out for you. I don't know if this is going to work out the way that we want it to work out. But who knows? And I want you to accept the uncertainty of integrity. I want you to step into your calling in obedience to God, irrespective of how it works out. And I love how she responds in verse 15. She says, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. I don't know how it's going to turn out, God, but I know what I'm supposed to do. I know what the right next step is. And I can't, I'm not going to try to game the results. I'm just going to obey you step by step. 
I'm, gonna, I'm just going to take the next right step. If you want to grow into your greatness, take the next right step. If today you're wondering where you are in this, in this path, in this trajectory, in this growing into greatness, look at this. I, I just want to show you four stages of growth, and then I'm going to pass, and then I'm going to hand it over. There's four stages of growth we all experience and every person in the Bible experiences. It's declaration, distress, development, and demonstration. Declaration is when God says, hey, I want you to do something. Declaration is the word of God declaring what you should do. Declaration is when Mordecai says to Esther, hey, go tell the king. Go tell the king to stop the edict. It's a declaration that God says, hey, I want you to take the next step. There are many, many declarations on your life right now. You don't need to hear a voice from God. God already spoke through his word. He's telling us what, what to do. Number two is distress. There's no biblical character that did anything great without facing some discomfort and some, some obstacles, some hardship. Maybe today you're in distress. You're struggling. You're, 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 you're running up against some walls and some, some obstacles. That's okay. You and every other biblical character, we've all experienced distress. God's told you to do something and it's hard. But number three is development. It's the hard stuff that changes you. It's the hard stuff that grows you. It's the hard stuff that develops you. The scripture says we rejoice in our suffering because we know that our suffering turns us into the men and women that God has called us to be. It gives us endurance. It gives us patience. We're being developed. We're being grown into greatness. And then the fourth one, which I love, is demonstration. At the end of the day, God always wins. Can I just tell you, God always comes through. Every single time, God always comes through. He's going to demonstrate his power one way or another. God will prevail. If you want to win, get on his side. Get on his side. The scripture in chapter 9 says this. Now in the 12th month, that is the month of Adar, on the 13th day, the time for the king's command and his decree to be executed. So the day came for people to go out and kill the Jews. But you know what? Esther had said, if I perish, I perish. She went before the king and she said, king, I just want you to know I'm a Jew and I want this, I want this to stop. And Haman, your good friend over here, who uh, is the one that came up with this idea, um, can I just tell you that, that he, he's not the guy you think he is. And the king says, well, man, I, I can't change the edict, but I can issue another edict. The second edict is on that day, Every Jew has the right to defend themselves. Every Jew has the right to stand and fight. So the day came. The edict was executed. On the day that the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them, the scripture says the opposite occurred. In that the Jews themselves overpowered those who hated them. The Jews were gathered together in their cities throughout all the provinces of King Xerxes to lay hands on those who sought their harm. Scripture says, and no one could withstand them because fear of them fell on all the people. God took this little orphan girl who was exiled, made her not only the queen of this entire kingdom, but made her the linchpin to bring God's deliverance to his people. What would God do through a group of people like us if we would embrace the opportunity of unfortunate circumstances? Well, what could God do through a group of people like us at One Family Church if we would commit to unchanging truth in ever-changing times? 
What could God do in your life if you and I would remember whose story we inhabit? If we stopped trying to live our own story and we stepped into the story of God. What could God do through us if we would choose the greater discomfort? What could God do through us if we would accept the uncertainty of integrity? God would change the world is what he would do through you, through me, when we start to grow into our greatness. The book of Esther doesn't end with a slaughter. It ends with a party. It ends with the Jews saying, thank you, God, for my deliverance. Thank you, God, that you saved us in a time of despair. And thank you, God, that you used a, a young woman who was not too cynical and not too jaded to grow into her greatness. Would you stand with me as we close with both campuses? I want to pray for us as we close today that us individually, one-on-one, -on -one, individually, but also collectively as a group, we would just say, God, look, we're just going to grow into the greatness that you have for us. We're just going to step into the greatness that you have for us. We're just going to grow into the purpose that you have planned for us. We, we want to live out the life that you've called us to live. We don't want to live a life of mediocrity. We want to grow in you. Would you bow your heads with me this morning as we pray this? Father, we love you, we praise you, and we honor you. We don't want to live a life of mediocrity. We, we don't want to live a life of complacency. We don't want the status quo. We want to grow into the men and women that you've called us to be. We want to grow into the church that you've called us to be. We want to be a church that brings deliverance in this nation. We want to be a church that brings deliverance across this planet. God, I just pray that you would work on our hearts. Give us the courage to grow into the men and women that you've called us to be. God, this day, I pray that our hearts would be inspired, that our hearts would be reminded of how we were as children when, when we still believed that you could use us, when we still believed that you could transform the world through us, when we still believed that we could make a mark for you. I pray that we would lay down our, our worries, our fears, our anxieties, and our cynicism. We would lay down our skepticism, Lord. We would open our life to having faith in you so that we could see what you will do through us. Father, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen, amen, amen.